If you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we have some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Please feel free to grab one of those, um, and you can borrow it if you need to borrow it. You can keep it if you need to keep it. Um, If you are a user of the Bible app, you can follow along with our live event with the scripture and the notes and all that kind of stuff. And uh, again, I did this just a touch last week. I don't normally give you much backstory because it's usually not that interesting, but uh, this, this was, this is what happened this week. Tuesday morning, I get up early, um, reading my Bible, trying to sit with the Lord and, and, um, you know, pray and praying for my family, praying for you. Um, uh, and I ran across, uh, these particular passages, the Bible plan that I have has a reading in the old Testament, reading in the new Testament. And, uh, this particular passage, uh, came up. This is from first Kings. You don't have to turn there, but just listen, Solomon is building the temple. King Solomon is building the temple, and dead in the middle of this construction project, this is what the Lord says, verse, uh, 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 11. Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon concerning this house that you are building. If you will walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David your father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel, and I will not forsake my people Israel. And it really struck me that here, dead in the middle of this construction project that Solomon was in, God said, hey, concerning this house, I want you to walk in my ways and obey me. Right in the middle of the construction project, hey, don't forget what's most important. And I got to thinking, I wonder who else that applies to. Right in the middle of all of this construction, don't forget what's most important. And I, I prompted the Holy Spirit kind of right in the middle of all, all, all that's urgent, all that's done with the right motive. Solomon's, I'm building a house for God. And we're mucking out houses for Jesus. I mean, like right in the middle of that, don't, right in the middle of all that's urgent, don't forget what's most important. And so I, the New Testament reading was the passage that we're going to talk about today. And I thought, this is a good thing. So I want us today and be thinking about how you and I remember the gospel. This is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So, I'm asking, ask, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So here is where I think the Lord wants to take us this morning. Simply this, that you and I would be people who remember the gospel. Right in the middle of everything else that we're doing, right in the middle of bags and tables and bookcases and books and um, um, sheetrock and insulation and all the other things, right in the middle of all of that, that we would not forget what is most important um, in the middle of all of the chaos that is urgent. We would remember the gospel. And if that's going to be true of you and me today, you and me this week, 
I think a couple of things need to be true. Number one, uh, you and I need to remember that we're called as ministers. And that's what he says in verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Paul was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. And so you say, that's right, Paul was made a minister. I am not made a minister. Answer to that is, that's not true. In fact, everyone who follows Jesus is called as a minister. If you and I are going to remember the gospel, part of what we have to embrace and wrap our arms around is this. You and I are also then called as ministers. Well, but that's not really me. Actually, it is. Can you skip down just a few verses? Chapter 4, look at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors and teachers to equip the saints. Who are the saints? That's right, that's you, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Okay, so let's try this one more time. So God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers, people in leadership, if you will, of the church, to equip the saints, and who are the saints one more time? That's right, that's you, um, for, the, for the purpose of doing what? For the purpose of doing ministry. Now, what kind of person does ministry? And that is Ministers. So guess what? You're all called as ministers. That's that's the deal. You're all called as ministers. This is true for everyone who follows Jesus. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Uh, To what end? Until we all, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature, the fullness of of Christ. In other words, until we all are transformed. That's the deal. You and I um, were called as ministers. This is true for everyone who follows Jesus. And immediately, here's the pushback. It's, by the way, it's all grace for you and me, like the whole thing, right? The fact that we follow Jesus' grace, the fact that we're used by Jesus' grace, it's all grace. It's, it's a working of his power is what he says. But here's the pushback. You stand and you go, hey, listen, Okay, so everyone who follows Jesus, that's, that's really good. I, I think I probably disqualified myself from that. Well, why in the world would that be the case? And you go like this. Because all the stuff that's dragging along behind me, all the baggage, all the background stuff, all the ways that I've failed, all the ways that I've made an embarrassment of myself, all the way that my parents have embarrassed me, my kids have embarrassed me, like all of my stuff disqualifies me from ministry. You're called as, if you're going to remember the gospel, you have to remember that everybody is called as a minister. And everyone, every, this is for everybody who follows Jesus. Background and baggage, listen, God often uses those redemptively to minister. You get that, right? And so let's just go with Paul here. Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians. Paul, before he became a follower of Jesus, he persecuted the church, threw people in jail, threw a big party when they took stones and threw them at Stephen's head until Stephen died. I mean, like, he was not a nice fellow. Says of himself here, I'm the very least, it says, 
At the beginning of verse 8, I'm the very least of all saints. Over in 1 Timothy, he says, I am the chief of sinners. He can just describe himself with that. And Paul then uses that because God uses our background and our baggage redemptively to minister. He says this, Paul could walk up to anybody and say, hey man, Jesus will save you. And they look backwards and go, he ain't saving me. Uh-uh, look at that stuff behind me. Paul goes, no, 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 no. If he can save me, he can save you too. He uses our background. He uses the baggage that we often come with redemptively. Well, you don't understand because uh, you know, I, I went through this really hard time in marriage. Da, 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 da. I don't think I'm qualified to speak. God often uses that to minister. Well, you don't know. I mean, my parents, under, God often uses that to minister. My kids, were. God often uses that to minister. Oh, my workplace, or the one choice that I made, or I ended up divorced, or what? God often uses that to minister. He uses those things redemptively. Why? Because he's a redeemer. That's what he does. Everyone who follows Jesus is called as a minister. What kind of ministers are we going to be? And I want to pause here for a minute and think about this. Again, verse 8. I would say two important things um, shape the character of the minister. Verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach Christ. It starts with humility. And then, if you will, skip down to verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence. Um, through our faith in him. When he's talking about boldness and confident access, what's he talking about? He's talking about prayer. We come before God. So that's an expression, if you will, of dependence. And I would say that as called ministers, we need to remember that humility or being humble before God and being dependent upon God, that needs to characterize us as ministers. Humble and dependent. Why humble and dependent? Because um, I I will say this, that arrogance and self-reliance are not kingdom values. They may be political party values. They may be um, uh, other things. That, like, they're not kingdom values. I would define humility something like this. Uh, uh, this kind of being humble means having a self-confidence that is free enough to serve others. I can just look at other people and say, hey, I see where they are. I see their needs and I see what's going on. I want to be a part of, of meeting those needs. This humble self-confidence that is free to serve others. Arrogance, on the other hand, often tries to convince ourselves and others of a value that we're not sure that we have. You ever notice that? People who puff out their chest are actually trying to convince themselves or others of a value that they're not actually sure that they have in and of themselves. Arrogance oftentimes is is pretending. We use arrogance to pretend um, uh, um, to, to pretend to be somebody else, and that covers up the true confidence and calling that comes from God. Arrogance is one of those things, um, and I speak as a very, I, I'm actually an expert in arrogance, so let me just put that on the table here. Um, it, arrogance uh, is rooted in ourselves, whereas this kind of humble self-confidence is rooted in Christ. Humility, being humble before God. Dependence, if I were to um, express it this way, I would say dependence is this ongoing confession that I can't do this on my own. This ongoing confession. Why do we go before God in prayer? To set ourselves and to set our needs before God. Why do we do that? Because we can't do it on our own. This is what dependence looks like. Ongoing dependence. 
Um, and I love how they work together. The more, uh, the more we work on being humble before God, the more we recognize that we're dependent. And the more dependent we are before God, the more it humbles us before God. So that's, it works together like that. And I'll just, I just, again, I'm an expert on arrogance, okay? And so let me just tell you something that happened this week. Um, my wife and one of our uh, ladies at church completely conspired against me. And so we had some damage at our house from the, the hurricane, and, and uh, as it was unfolding, we got some of the sheetrock out and stuff, and there was still some more needed to be done, and it was one of those things where we'll get to it when we get to it, right? Anybody with me on that? Dudes in here, let's put all you ladies to the side. Dudes in here, you're like, I'll get to that. I can do that. When's that going to happen? And the answer is, I'll get to it. But when, honey? I, I'll take care of it, right? Every guy in here, who's with me? Husbands, and thank you. Thank you, Clint. I appreciate you. Appreciate you. You and I are brothers now. So um, we're just, so my wife and this other lady in our church conspired against me, and they called and uh, reached out to one of the um, groups um, that's local, and they came over and took out the rest of the sheetrock. And the only thing, I was, I was told one thing, and I said one thing. I was told, please don't be mad at me. I wasn't, I was, and the thing that I said was, I'm actually very grateful, because that's one thing that, you know, at this point, I don't have to worry about. Dependence is an ongoing confession that I can't do this on my own. And it often expresses itself, it works itself out in gratitude. This is true for Paul, too. Like, I found myself looking at these four guys who came over from Raleigh, North Carolina, mind you, looking at these other guys who came over and saying, dudes, thank you all so much. Like, I was going to get to it. Some point, I was going to, I wasn't. Uh, thank you all so much. Pa- Paul, Paul did this, this thing as well. I, just, I thought of a few examples. Paul said, um, Oh, wretched man, that, Romans chapter 7, Oh, wretched man that I am, who can set me free from this body of sin and death? Thanks be to God that he gives Jesus to do this. Dependence, gratitude. In 1 Corinthians 15, Oh, death, where is your sting? Where is it? I can't handle this, dependence. And then he says, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 2, one of my favorite passages as a preacher, because he talks about, hey, when we go ministering the word um, to people, some people who hear it and don't respond, it's like the smell of death. And some people who hear it and do respond, it's like the smell of life. Who is adequate for these things? That's what Paul asks. And I ask that question often. And then he says, but thanks be to God who leads us in a victory parade as we go and as we minister. On and on and on and on and on. Gratitude, thankfulness um, is, is tied with dependence. Why is that? Because it's, it's this, it is this way because the burden then is off of Paul. And it's off of us. Not the, not the responsibility or the duty to live as God has said to live, but the weight of seeing how it's all going to work out. That doesn't fall on me anymore. If I think that I am the only one who's going to carry this, then guess what? I am then worried about the results. I am worried about how the details. I am worried about everything. Here's the deal. God's got this. So again, just a confession moment. Multiple times over the past six weeks, 
Somewhere in the middle of the night, for a long time, I wake up. And I've worked, disciplined myself. All the things that get spinning, all the details that get going, all the things that just, how's this going to go, God? I've disciplined myself to say, God, this is way too big for any of us. And I think it's way too big for actually all of us. So we're putting ourselves before you, making ourselves available to you, yes, but we're also leaving the results in your hands. And then I try to roll over and go back to sleep. It's not that I don't have a responsibility to act as he told me to act and to live as he's told me to live. It's not that you don't have a responsibility, a duty to respond to how God has said, but what it does say is, God, I fully recognize that I am not the one in control here. You are. We don't end the service saying Trent reigns over everything, right? We end the service saying Jesus does. And therefore, I need to just let him. I'll act, I'll do, I'll be responsible. But I need to trust the results to him. Dependence and humility. Okay. Second thing, if we're going to be people who remember the gospel, we have to remember we're called as ministers. But we also have to remember that that. This, is, this requires proclamation. Ministry, this particular kind of ministry requires proclamation. Remembering the gospel means requiring proclamation. Look at verse 8. Start there. I'm going to read three verses in a row and just note some phrases. To me, though I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given to do what to the Gentiles? What's it say? To preach. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light. Do you see that? Bring to light. For everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now, what? Be made known. Be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Ministry requires proclamation. And when we talk about it around here, we talk about it with these two words. We show the gospel and we share the gospel. We show the gospel, we share the gospel. This is what it means to proclaim the good news of Jesus. We show the gospel, we share the gospel. What is, why? Why are we using those words? Why are we talking about that? Because um, showing the gospel... Walking up with this bag right here and sticking it in somebody's hand and saying, Hey, listen... We just want you to know that God cares deeply about you, and he sent me here to tell you that. If they've never thought about that before, you know what it prompts in them? A curiosity. We had a team out last weekend uh, distributing Bibles. We had some folks do uh, some similar ministry this week. And you know what their response has been? You know what their feedback has been to us? Man, the ground is really, really soft spiritually. If we've got a time, if we've got a window, folks, where people are receptive to the good news of Jesus, now's the time. So we need to step out. And so what do we start with? We start with showing the gospel. Why? Because it prompts this kind of curiosity in people. But we also share the gospel because sharing the gospel produces clarity. And that's, that's a good thing, okay? It's a really good thing for us um, to wrap our minds around to say, We need to be clear about what we're sharing. Um, And what does it say specifically here? He talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's one way he describes it. He talks about the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. He talks about the manifold wisdom of God. Um, uh, In verse 11, according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're talking about showing the gospel that Jesus is in charge of the world. And we're talking about sharing the gospel that this is what he has done for us. He has um, come down from heaven 
sin. He has died on the cross for our sins. He has risen again and gives life and freedom to everybody who uh, uh, turns to him. That's, that's what we're talking about. That's a clarity thing. And the world needs both. The world needs both. Why? Because if we share the gospel without showing the gospel, what happens is that becomes an echo in a very hollow chamber and sets us up for hypocrisy. All they do is talk about talk, 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 talk. They don't actually do anything. If we show the gospel, excuse me, if we share the gospel without showing the gospel, we're missing out. Can we turn back one page to Ephesians chapter 2? Look at verse 8. If you know any verse in Ephesians 2, it's verse 8 and 9. Ready? Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Let's be clear. Let's bring some clarity to bear. It's not because I'm so awesome or you're so awesome that Jesus has done this for us. It's because it is His grace and His grace alone. That's it. So, Clarity on sharing the gospel, uh, clarity on what that message is, um, produces something. Because 8 and 9 are very clear about what the gospel is, and then it produces something, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Somebody say it. For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So if we share the gospel but don't show the gospel, it sets us up for hypocrisy. But the gospel that we share is in, in, I mean, is naturally produces good works in us. So we need both. The world needs both. Here's the other part about that, though. If we show the gospel without opening our mouths and sharing the gospel, we provide a mute witness to a speaking God. By the very nature of our witness, we mischaracterize the very nature of our God. God has spoken. So what do his people do? We speak. We talk. We, we share. The world is really confused out there about what God does and doesn't desire, about who God is and is not, about um, uh, the things that he has and has not done. Last night, my mom's in town, went out to a little um, uh, dinner. Uh, one of our kids wanted to swing by Half Price Books. We swing by Half Price Books. He goes off to find his book. Um, I'm perusing the religion section because I'm a pastor and, you know, it seems like the right place to be standing in Half Price Books while my kid's looking for another book. So I'm perusing, perusing, just looking, looking, looking. Oh, that looks interesting. That is not. And then I find my eyes run across one book called Rescuing Jesus. So I pick it up and I say, well, this is provocative. I'll just see. So I flip through. Just, I just pick out a chapter and just start, you know, skim reading it. And um, basically, and I just for clarity, I am not recommending this book. I'm saying don't even, this is just for illustration purposes only. Um, I just I looked at the chapter and basically they want to toss two thousand years of Christian ethic based upon four stories that this person had. Like we just it seems like a bad trade to me, but I'm just nonetheless that's the deal. And the the, the it was the title though that struck me it was particularly provocative because in my mind that just presents a lot of confusion because in my relationship with God He's not the one who needs rescuing. <laughs> Like, I don't need to rescue him. He needs to rescue me. There's a world out there that is thoroughly confused about how that dynamic goes. 
Jesus doesn't need rescuing. There's a world that needs to know that. And so we don't just show the gospel. Yes, let's show it. But we don't just show the gospel. We bring the clarity to bear by sharing the gospel too. The way that we talked about that around here, this little graphic, if you've been around church, our church, you, you may be tired of this already, but let me just give it to you. We talk about it in these three tiers. The baseline expectation. The foundation of all this baseline expectation is this culture of invitation. We regularly, consistently invite people to come to church with us. This can happen in 10 seconds, right? You're at the line or somewhere. Hey, do you go to church anywhere regularly? It's always that last word. It's regularly that gets everybody. Do you go to church anywhere is a very different question than do you go to church anywhere regularly. Well, hey, it's fine. I just, I'm just asking. I'd love for you to come meet us at Heritage Park sometime. That's just 10 seconds. If the door opens, and you can do that anywhere with anybody. If the door opens, then you get an opportunity to tell our story. Well, I don't really go to church anymore because I got divorced or I don't know, or this thing happened and there's all this kind of stuff. And you get an opportunity then to tell your story, not to hijack the conversation or make it all about you, just to say, oh man, that really sounds like a really hard time. Can I tell you about one time that God saw me through a hard time? Well, sure. Man, he did this, and he showed himself powerful and compassionate and merciful and loving, and he provided for me, and he healed me, and he blessed me, and all these kind of things. You just get the opportunity to tell your story, and if that door remains open, you walk through that door to share the gospel, to look at somebody and say, he did that for me, and I promise you this, he can do something just like that for you. But it starts with dealing with your biggest problem, and that is sin. He sent his son Jesus to die for your sin so that you could receive forgiveness, and he raised him from the dead so that you could have life and freedom. So anybody who turns to him can experience the forgiveness and life and freedom that he um, wants to give you. Would you like to, to do that? Anybody can do that. So it starts, culture of invitation, and you tell your story and you share the gospel. When we talk about showing and sharing the gospel, this is what it leads to. Last thing I'll just say from Ephesians 3, just quickly, but I just, I want to emphasize this one thing. Close with this one thing. It's verse 10. So that through what? The pastor. Isn't that what it says? Through the. Oh, wait. So through the kids' ministry. Through the music? Oh, no. Through mucking out houses. That's what it says, right? But what's it say? So that through, verse 10, so that through the church, that's what it says. Through the church, we might put on display this manifold wisdom of God. God's wisdom is all so amazing that it's manifold. It's just unbelievable. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known, not only here on earth, but also to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In other words, we don't know all the reverberations that happen in the spiritual realm when we participate in showing and sharing the good news that Jesus reigns over everything. Here's what I'm telling you, church family. There is no plan B. Who does he entrust this work to? And the answer is the church, not the pastor, not the kids minister, not the kids ministry. Through the church, we are his plan A and his only plan. So 
We've got bags that are tools. Furniture, that's tools. Little books, tools. All of these things are just tools so that you get into conversations and get the opportunity in your relationships to remember the gospel. You're called as a minister, and that kind of ministry requires proclamation. I'm going to pray, and then we'll take just a moment to respond, okay? Um, Go ahead, and if you need to fold up your stuff or close up, and you can just settle for a second and ask yourself, and then ask the Holy Spirit this question. Man, what did I really need to hear today? And then say, Holy Spirit, what, what do you need to really drive home for me?